Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet stories and meditations to help you find a little peace at bedtime or anytime. Well, the heat wave passed, and it's been getting darn chilly at night up here on the mountain. Our cat, Ninja, came back home a few days ago. He'd been off spending a couple of weeks up at the neighbor's house up the hill. That's something he used to do quite a bit, but for the past few years, he hasn't really done it much. So it was a little weird, but the neighbors love him, so... I guess he thought he'd stop by for a while and just love them back. I'm happy he's back home, though. I published my fourth edition of my newsletter this week, too. I love Newsletter Day because I normally get a few emails back from folks who found it meaningful to them in one way or another. And they share a story back with me about what's going on in their lives. In this month's newsletter, I shared a story about living with uncertainty, along with some other things, including a link to the interview I did with a teacher of mine who did the meditation this week on Wednesday, Angelo. It was so delightful to chat with him, and it's on my YouTube channel if you want to see it. You can find a link to that in my social links on listentosleep.com. I loved it so much, in fact, that I think I'm going to start a video podcast interviewing people about what makes a good life. I'll keep you posted on that, of course. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but after 18 months of studying and practicing, I finally graduated from my mindfulness teacher training course. It's my first professional certification, aside from my college degree, and I'm darn proud of it. And I'm very much looking forward to helping more folks find some more peace through mindfulness and meditation. It sure has changed my life for the better, and I can't wait to share everything I've learned. This week, I've been lining up all the tech I'm going to need, and soon I'll be creating the actual course. The first one, anyway. I think I'll be doing a short introductory course to give folks an overview of what mindfulness involves, and then another longer course that'll be a bit more of a deep dive. The folks who are members of the Patreon when the introductory course launches will be getting that for free. So if you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, now's a great time. Speaking of which... I want to thank Liz, Lisa, Mackenzie, Mary Jo, and Kathy for supporting the podcast by joining the Patreon this week. Thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find some fun and inexpensive ways to do that, like joining Listen to Sleep Plus or buying an audiobook. That's all on listentosleep.com. Here's the deal. Your support, along with that of the advertisers, is what allows me to continue to make two free episodes of Listen to Sleep every week to help folks all over the world get a little better sleep at night and a little more peace during the day. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider supporting the podcast too. 
This week's story is a tale of Norse myth, probably one of the most requested genres that I get here on Listen to Sleep. And it's from a book called In the Days of Giants. The very first story I read on the podcast was from this book. And that was 218 episodes ago. I can hardly believe it. Let's take a deep breath in and out. Just letting go of the day, feeling the weight of gravity pulling you deep down into the mattress. And another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to be. This is your time, quiet time. One more deep breath in and out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. In the Giant's House Although Thor had slain Thiassa, the giant builder, Thrym, the thief, Hrungnir and Hymir, and had rid the world of whole families of wicked giants, there remained many others in Jutenheim to do their evil deeds and to plot mischief against both gods and men. And of these, Gerod was the fiercest and the wickedest. He and his two ugly daughters, Gyalp of the Red Eyes and Greip of the Black Teeth, lived in a large palace among the mountains where Gerod had his treasures of iron and copper, silver and gold. For since the death of Thrym, Gerod was the lord of the mines, and all the riches that came out of the earth caverns belonged to him. Thrym had been Gerod's friend, and the tale of Thrym's death through the might of Thor and his hammer, had made Gerod very sad and angry. If I could but catch Thor now without his weapons, he said to his daughters, what a lesson I would give him, how I would punish him for his deeds against us giants. Oh. What would you do, father? cried Gyalp, twinkling her cruel red eyes and working her claw fingers as if she would like to fasten them in Thor's golden beard. Oh, what would you do, father? cried Gripe, smacking her lips 
and grinding her black teeth as if she would like to take a bite out of Thor's stout arm. Do to him, growled Gerard fiercely. Do to him. I would chew him all up. I would break his bones into little bits. I would smash him into jelly. Oh, good, good. Do it, father, and then give him to us to play with, cried Gyalp and Gripe, dancing up and down till the hills trembled and all the frightened sheep ran home to their folds, thinking that there must be an earthquake. For Gyalp was as tall as a pine tree, and many times as thick, while Gripe, her little sister, was as large around as a haystack and as high as a flagstaff. They both hoped someday to be as huge as their father, whose legs were so long that he could step across the river valleys from one hilltop to another just as we human folk cross a brook on stepping stones. And his arms were so stout that he could lift a yoke of oxen in each fist, as if they were red-painted toys. Gerard shook his head at his two playful daughters and sighed. We must catch Master Thor first, my girls, before we do these fine things to him. We must catch him without his mighty hammer. Uh, That never fails him. And without his belt, that doubles his strength whenever he puts it on or even I cannot chew and break and smash him as he deserves. For with these, his weapons, he is the mightiest creature in the whole world. And I would rather meddle with thunder and lightning than with him. Let us wait, children. Then Gyalp and Gripe pouted and sulked like two great babies who cannot have the new plaything which they want. And very ugly they were to see, with tears as big as oranges rolling down their cheeks. Sooner than they expected, they came very near to having their heart's desire fulfilled. And if it had happened as they wished, and if Asgard had lost its goodliest hero, its strongest defense, that would have been Red Loki's fault. All Loki's evil planning. For you are now to hear of the wickedest thing that up to this time Loki had ever done. 
As you know, it was Loki who was Thor's bitterest enemy. And for many months he had been awaiting the chance to repay the Thunderlord for the dole which Thor had brought upon him at the time of the dwarf's gifts to Asgard. This is how it came about. Loki had long remembered the fun of skimming as a great bird in Freya's falcon feathers. He had longed to borrow the wings once again, and to fly away over the round world to see what he could see. For he thought that so he could learn many secrets which he was not meant to know, and plan wonderful mischief without being found out. But Freya would not again loan her feather dress to Loki. She owed him a grudge for naming her as Thrym's bride. And besides, she remembered his treatment of Idun, and she did not trust his oily tongue and fine promises. So Loki saw no way but to borrow the feathers without leave. And this he did one day when Freya was gone to ride in her chariot drawn by white cats. Loki put on the feather dress, as he had done twice before. Once when he went to Jutenheim to bring back stolen Edun and her magic apples. Once when he went to find out about Thor's hammer. Away he flew from Asgard, as bird-like as you please, chuckling to himself with wicked thoughts. It did not make any particular difference to him where he went. It was such fun to flap and fly, skim and wheel, looking and feeling for all the world like a big, brown falcon. He swooped low, thinking, I wonder what Freya would say to see me now. Whee! How angry she would be. Just then, he spied the high wall of a palace on the mountains. Oh, said Loki. I never saw that place before. It may be a giant's dwelling. I think this must be Jutenheim from the bigness of things. I must just peep to see. Loki was the most inquisitive of creatures, as wily-minded folk are apt to be. Loki the falcon alighted and hopped to the wall. Then, giving a flap of his wings, he flew up and up to the window ledge, where he perched and peered into the hall. And there within, he saw the giant, Gerod, and his daughters eating their dinner. 
They looked so ugly and so greedy as they sat there, gobbling their food in giant mouthfuls. Well, Loki on the windowsill could not help snickering to himself. Now at that sound, Gerard looked up and saw the big brown bird peeping in at the window. Heya, cried the giant to one of his servants. Go you and fetch me the big brown bird up yonder in the window. Then the servant ran to the wall and tried to climb up to get at Loki. But the window was so high that he could not reach. He jumped and slipped, scrambled and slipped again and again, while Loki sat just above his clutching fingers and chuckled so that he nearly fell from his perch. Tee-hee, tee-hee, chattered Loki in the falcon tongue. It was such fun to see the fellow grow black in the face with trying to reach him that Loki thought he would wait until the giant's fingers almost touched him before flying away. But Loki waited too long. At last, with a quick spring, the giant gained a hold upon the window ledge, and Loki was within reach. When Loki flapped his wings to fly, he found that his feet were tangled in the vine that grew upon the wall. He struggled and twisted with all his might, but in vain. There he was, caught fast. Then the servant grasped him by the legs, and so brought him to Gerard, where he sat at the table. Now, Loki, in his feather dress, looked exactly like a falcon, except for his eyes. There was no hiding the wise and crafty look of Loki's eyes. As soon as Gerard looked at him, he suspected that this was no ordinary bird. You are no falcon, you, he cried. You are spying about my palace in disguise. Speak and tell me who you are. Loki was afraid to tell, because he knew the giants were angry with him for his part in Thrym's death. Small though his part had really been in that great deed. So he kept his beak closed tight and refused to speak. The giant stormed and raged and threatened to kill him. But still, Loki was silent. Then Gerard locked the falcon up in a chest for three long months, without food or water, to see how that would suit his birdship.
You can imagine how hungry and thirsty Loki was at the end of that time, ready to tell anything he knew, and more also, for the sake of a crumb of bread and a drop of water. So then Gerard called through the keyhole. Well, Sir Falcon, now will you tell me who you are? And this time, Loki piped feebly. I am Loki of Asgard. Give me something to eat. Oh, quoth the giant fiercely. You are that Loki who went with Thor to kill my brother Thrym. <laughs> well, you shall die for that, my feathered friend. No, no, screamed Loki. Thor is no friend of mine. I love the giants far better. One of them is my wife, which was indeed true, as were few of Loki's words. Then, if Thor is no friend of yours, to save your life, will you bring him into my power? asked Gerard. Loki's eyes gleamed wickedly among the feathers. Here all at once was his chance to be free and to have his revenge upon Thor, his worst enemy. Aye, that I will, he cried eagerly. I will bring Thor into your power. So Gerard made him give a solemn promise to do that wrong, and upon this he loosed Loki from the chest and gave him food. Then they formed the wicked plan together, while Gialp and Gripe, the giant's ugly daughters, listened and smacked their lips. Loki was to persuade Thor to come with him to Gerard's guard. More, he must come without his mighty hammer. And without the iron gloves of power, and without the belt of strength. For so only could the giant have Thor at his mercy. After their wicked plans were made, Loki bade a friendly farewell to Gerard and his daughters, and flew back to Asgard as quickly as he could. You may be sure he had a sound scolding from Freya for stealing her feather dress and keeping it so long. But he told such a pitiful story of being kept prisoner by a cruel giant, and he looked, in truth, so pale and thin from his long fast that the gods were fain to pity him, and to believe his story, in spite of the many times that he had deceived them. Indeed, most of his tale was true, but he only told half of the truth. 
for he spoke no word of his promise to the giant. This he had kept hidden in his breast. Now, one day, not long after this, Loki invited Thor to go on a journey with him to visit a new friend who, he said, was anxious to know the Thunder Lord. Loki was so pleasant in his manner and seemed so frank in his speech that Thor, whose heart was simple and unsuspicious, never dreamed of any wrong, not even when Loki added, and by the by, Thor, you must leave behind your hammer, your belt, and your gloves, for it would show little courtesy to wear such weapons in the home of a new friend. Thor carelessly agreed, for he was pleased with the idea of a new adventure and with the thought of making a new friend. Besides, on their last journey together, Loki had behaved so well that Thor believed him to have changed his evil ways and to have become his friend. So together, they set off in Thor's goat chariot, without weapons of any kind except those which Loki secretly carried. Loki chuckled as they rattled over the clouds, and if Thor had seen the look in his eyes, he would have turned the chariot back to Asgard and to safety, where he had left gentle Seif, his wife. But Thor did not notice, and so they rumbled on. Soon they came to the gate of giant land. Thor thought this strange, for he knew they were like to find few friends of his dwelling among the big folk. For the first time, he began to suspect Loki of some treacherous scheme. However, he said nothing and pretended to be as gay and careless as before. But he thought of a plan to find out the truth. Close by the entrance was the cave of Grid, a good giantess, who alone of all the giants was a friend of Thor and of the folk in Asgard. I will alight here a moment, Loki, said Thor carelessly. I long for a draught of water. Hold you the goats tightly by the reins until I return. So he went into the cave and got his draught of water. But while he was drinking, he questioned good mother Grid to some purpose. Who is this friend? Gerard, whom I go to see, he asked her. Gerard, your friend? You go to see Gerard, she exclaimed. He is the wickedest giant of us all, and no friend to you. 
Why do you go, dear Thor? Hmm, muttered Thor. Red Loki's mischief again. He told her of the visit that Loki had proposed, and how he had left at home the belt, the gloves, and the hammer, which made him stronger than any giant. Then Crid was frightened. Go not, go not, Thor, she begged. Gerard will kill you, and those ugly girls, Gyalp and Gripe, will have the pleasure of crunching your bones. Oh, I know them well, the hussies. But Thor declared that he would go, whether or no. I have promised Loki that I will go, he said, and go I will, for I always keep my word. Then you shall have three little gifts of me, quoth she. Here is my belt of power, for I also have one like your own and she buckled about his waist a green belt, at whose touch he felt his strength redoubled. This is my iron glove, she said, as she put one on his mighty hand. And with it, as with your own, you can handle lightning and touch unharmed the hottest of red-hot metal. And here, last of all, she added, is Gridarvol, my good staff, which you may find useful. Take them, all three, and may Seif see you safe at home again by their aid. Thor thanked her and went out once more to join Loki who never suspected what had happened in the cave. For the belt and the glove were hidden under Thor's cloak. And as for the staff, it was quite ordinary looking, as if Thor might have picked it up anywhere along the road. On they journeyed until they came to the river Vimer, the greatest of all rivers which roared and tossed in a terrible way between them and the shore which they wanted to reach. It seemed impossible to cross. But Thor drew his belt a little tighter, and planting Greed's staff firmly on the bottom, stepped out into the stream. Loki clung behind to his cloak, frightened out of his wits. But Thor waded on bravely, his strength doubled by Grid's belt, and his steps supported by her magic staff. Higher and higher the waves washed over his knees, his waist, his shoulders, as if they were fierce to drown him. And Thor said, Ho there, River Vimer, 
do not grow any larger, I pray. It is of no use. The more you crowd upon me, the mightier I grow with my belt and my staff. But lo, as he nearly reached the other side, Thor spied someone hiding close down by the bank of the river. It was Gyalp of the Red Eyes, the big elder daughter of Gerod. She was splashing the water upon Thor, making the great waves that rolled up and threatened to drown him. Ho, he cried. So it is you who are making the river rise, big little girl. We must see to that. And seizing a huge boulder, he hurled it at her. It hit her with a thud, for Thor's aim never missed. Giving a scream as loud as a steam whistle, Gyalp limped home as best she could to tell her father and to prepare a warm reception for the stranger who bore Loki at his back. When Thor had pulled himself out of the river by some bushes, he soon came to the palace which Loki had first sighted in his falcon dress. And there he found everything most courteously made ready for him. He and Loki were received like dear old friends, with shouts of rejoicing and ringing of bells. Gerard himself came out to meet them and would have embraced his new friend Thor, but the Thunderlord merely seized him by the hand and gave him so hearty a squeeze with the iron glove that the giant howled with pain. Yet he could say nothing, for Thor looked pleased and gentle. And Gerard said to himself, Oh, my fine little Thor, I will soon pay you for that handshake, and for many things beside. All this time, Gyalp and Gripe did not appear, and Loki also had taken himself away to be out of danger when the hour of Thor's death should come. For he feared that dreadful things might happen before Thor died, and he did not want to be remembered by the big fist of the companion whom he had betrayed. Loki, having kept his promise to the giant, was even now far on the road back to Asgard, where he meant, with a sad face, to tell the gods that Thor had been slain by a horrible giant, but never to tell them how. So Thor was all alone when the servants led him to the chamber which Gerod had made ready for his dear friend. It was a wonderfully fine chamber, to be sure, but the strange thing about it was that 
Among the furnishings, there was but one chair, a giant chair, with a drapery all about the legs. Now, Thor was very weary with his long journey, and he sat down in the chair to rest. Then, wonderful to tell, if elevators had been invented in those days, he might have thought he was in one. For instantly, the seat of the chair shot up towards the roof, and against this he was in danger of being crushed, as Gerard had longed to see him. But quick as a flash, Thor raised the staff which good old Greed had given him, and pushed it against the rafters with all his might to stop his upward journey. It was a tremendous push that he gave. Something cracked. Something crashed. The chair fell to the ground as Thor leaped off the seat. And there were two terrible screams. Then Thor found, what do you think? Why, that yelp and gripe the giant's daughters, had hidden under the seat of the chair and had lifted it up on their backs to crush Thor against the roof. But instead of that, it was Thor who had broken their backs so that they lay dead upon the floor like limp rag dolls. Now, This little exercise had only given Thor an excellent appetite for supper, so that when word came bidding him to the banquet, he was very glad. First, said Big Gerard, grinning horribly, for he did not know what had happened to his daughters. First, we will see some games, friend Thor. Then... Thor came into the hall, where fires were burning in great chimney places along the walls. It is here that we play our little games, cried Gerard, and on the moment, seizing a pair of tongs, he snatched a red-hot wedge of iron from one of the fires and hurled it straight at Thor's head. But Thor was quicker than he. Swift as a flash, he caught the flying spark in his iron glove. And calling forth all the might of Greed's belt, he cast the wedge back at the giant. Gerard dodged behind an iron pillar, but it was in vain. Thor's might was such as no iron could meet. Like a bolt of lightning, the wedge passed through the pillar, through Gerard himself, through the thick wall of the palace, and buried itself deep in the ground, where it lodges to this day, unless someone has dug it up to sell for old iron. So perished Gerard, 
and his children, one of the wickedest families of giants that ever lived in Jutenheim. And so Thor escaped from the snares of Loki, who had never done deed worse than this. When Thor returned home to Asgard, where from Loki's lying tale he found all the gods mourning him as dead, you can fancy what a joyful reception he had. But for Loki, the false-hearted, false-tongued traitor to them all, there was only hatred. He no longer had any friends among the good folk. The wicked giants and the monsters of Utgard were now his only friends. For he had grown to be like them, and even these did not trust him overmuch. Good night.